Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Adrienne Marie Brown, an author and the writer-in-residence at the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. She recently published Grievers, the first in her novella series with the Black Dawn imprint. She's also the co-host of the How to Survive the End of the World and Octavia's Parables podcasts. Adrienne, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Danny. I am just so pleased that you could be here. I am in the studio this week for the first time in quite some time, so I'm still stunned by the fact that my dogs aren't trying to eat my microphone cord. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just so looking forward to this. How How is everything? How are you doing? Oh, things are good over here. Um, I feel like this is um, today, you know, Wednesday was a sweet day today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I locked myself out of my house and I didn't panic. So that's always good. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have community. I have my phone. I have my wallet. I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was able to move through quite a lovely day where a lot changed in the in the process of it, but it still was fine. So That strikes me as a deeply lovely approach. And uh, I think quite a useful ones, especially if you have an eye towards finding ways to survive a, a variety of apocalypses or world ends. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just that thought of, well, I'll be out of my house for a while. Yeah. What should I do? It's all good. Yeah. I have also locked myself out of my houses and apartments enough times that I also have a real like, well, this just happens to me sometimes approach, Absolutely. which is not to say I've gotten any better at figuring out how to handle it so much as just something does always end up happening again. Yeah. Well, and you know, one time I locked myself out of my house and wrote like a whole musical. Um, I haven't quite returned to that level of excellent house lockout experience, but it's nice to know that's there, right? It's like, this could be excellent, you know? But today I was like, I can still get to my appointments. I'll just take a lift or, you know, I'll figure it out. And and I did, and everything was fine. And my neighbor was happy to help me get back in when I returned. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I have never written a musical while locked out of my apartment, but I have <laughs> occasionally <it. laughs> I have occasionally shimmied. I have shimmied up certain things. Yeah. Um, and I learned that uh, it's not that hard to take a screen off of uh, an open window. So swings and roundabouts. Things that help you sleep or don't sleep or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, with all that in mind, I will take us into our first letter, um, which is, you know, a sort of classic of the type, which is uh, I have a complicated relationship with my spouse and now there is a baby coming and that is adding to the complications. Mm -hmm. The subject is opposites don't attract. My spouse and I are expecting a baby in a few months and the transition has been rough. My spouse has always been kind of negative. I've learned not to take things too personally if he's in a mood. I'm generally a very positive person. I'm able to keep a lid on my temper and try to bring up difficult issues in a non-blaming way. Recently, that's been really hard. 
We're both under stress at work, and while my pregnancy has been largely uneventful, it's still physically and emotionally challenging. I've needed more from my spouse, from more help with household chores to more engagement with baby preparation. I've tried to frame requests like that. I can't make dinner every night, and sometimes I don't know that until it's 8 p.m. and I'm hungry and emotional. Could you check in more frequently and sometimes decide on pickup or takeout for us? Or, I did some research on some of the things that we need, but I still need input from you. Could you let me know when might be a good time for us to go to Ikea together? He started to lash out at me for being so shitty to him. His reasoning is that when I ask for more support, or frankly, even ask an innocuous question like, what are you up to this weekend? I'm implying that he's an asshole or lazy or not providing for us. He says he's done being treated like this. I don't know what to do. He's obviously upset and feeling attacked, and communication is 50% with the listener. We'll come back to that statistic later. I'm not so sure I agree with it. (laughs) But this blame on me is misplaced. I don't talk to him like that. I don't even think like that. I'm at a loss. This feels like it's his issue to fix, not mine. I don't want to minimize his real feelings. And I do need more support from him to prepare for this baby that we both made together and are going to have to raise. But I'm not being so mean to him by expressing my needs. Mm. If there weren't a baby coming, I'd feel like we had some space to work through this slowly, but we're on a deadline and at an impasse. I don't see how this gets better once there's a newborn that needs attention and care and when I'm physically, emotionally, and financially even more dependent on my spouse than I am now, or at least right after the baby comes. Two pieces of context. One, I'm all for therapy, and I've even reached out to some couples counselor. As you might guess, my spouse is deeply mistrustful of therapists. With some good reason, his very self-involved mother is a therapist, so I might not be able to get him to go with me. And two, just before the pandemic, we moved across the country for his job. As a result of this big move and the pandemic, my support network here sucks. My family and close friends are all back east. If things take a turn for the worse after the baby comes, I won't even be able to take the baby to my parents' house for a few days or weeks to regroup. His little eardrums will be too fragile to make the eight-hour flight, plus there's the COVID risk. Any advice? Mm, Wow. This one brought up so many things. You know, my first gut reaction as someone who's been a doula and friends to a lot of people who've gone through birth is go ahead and go to your parents' house Mm -hmm. or go someplace where you have a lot of support that is not complicated or resistant and, you know, let him work out his things. Like this, this didn't feel like just a negative, you know, negative, positive dynamic. It feels like there's some really big missing communication at the center of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe as big as this baby is not something he wants or doesn't want in the same way, or maybe it's just t- complete overwhelm. You know, as I was listening, I was like, yeah, moving during a pandemic, new job, and then a baby on the way, like that's a lot of factors, but it's, it's hard for me to imagine any factor that makes it such that you're like snapping at someone this way, who's, who's carrying your baby. So, you know, as I read this, I was just like, okay, so there's a lot that we can't see. It's always, you know, it's always interesting to me to, you know, it's like, this is one side of the story and I'm sure there's another one. Um, But from this side of the story, just hearing what, what this person has written to us, I'm like, go get closer to your support network and maybe y'all can figure it out on the other side. But you know, this does, it does, especially if he's not interested in going to therapy right now to kind of be like, how do we get on the same page? And that might be the question to ask before that <laughs> trip um, is like, you know, this really isn't working and it's not, it's, it doesn't feel like it's going to work right now. 
Um, let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> but yeah. I, I mean, my my first thought was also that I think the letter writer should, uh, you know, move back and and not just like go take a trip and see how things shake out. And, yeah. and it was for a slightly more, um, I, I could call it practical reason. I could also call it cynical. My first thought was you need to move now because after the baby is born, it's going to be harder because of custodial arrangements. Um, there's going to be mm-hmm. a custody case when you two get divorced and it will be harder for you to move out of state. Um, and you will have to uh, supply him with a certain amount of advance notice, and it's possible that the court will rule against um, your maintaining shared or primary custody in such a case, mm-hmm. um, and there will be a lot of external limits on your ability to move to where you need to go. Yeah, I would not put this in the category of quarantine's hard, moving is hard, you two are both, you know, trying. Yeah, it felt a lot deeper than that. You know, that like, stop treating me so shitty, you know, that you know, when that comes out, I'm like, okay, this sounds like a situation in which the person who's writing this feels like they're being treated really shitty and the other person feels like it. And sometimes in those situations, there's actually an abusive dynamic happening or a really harmful dynamic happening. It's like, that's not the condition in which you want to be trying to go through the final stage of pregnancy and and birth and everything else. And you're totally right on the custody piece. I'm just like, make it as easy as you can for yourself to land with this baby in the world. Things yeah. are going to be hard enough. Things are hard right now, you know? And I hate to sort of start with such a, like, assume that this marriage is already over sort of stance because I realize that this letter writer is, you know, in in sort of keeping with her her personality, trying to stay positive. But I just, I, I don't, um, gosh, I just don't see any reason to believe that this guy is going to be anything like a remotely adequate father or partner to you. Yeah. And and I think that's the main piece. It's like the seeing things and, and trying to make things positive, trying to make it work. I think there's something in there that's like, you're doing all the labor. And, you know, there's some like meme that I saw once. I was like, you know, I go to therapy for people who don't or whatever. <laughs> and I feel like that, you know, that in this situation where it's like, there, it feels like this guy has a lot of work that hasn't been processed or a lot of communication that we're not hearing about, or maybe that isn't happening. But, you know, the fact that he's feeling so victimized by what sound like relatively simple requests for appropriate levels of of support and, and sort of the co-parenting that happens before the baby's born, it's just red, 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 red flags. And when she talked about the mental script, you know, that there's like, she's like, as she was describing it, she's like, he thinks that I'm talking to him like this. And that's not even what's happening in my head. The fact that she's having to like defend her mental process indicates to me that there's maybe some gaslighting going on or just something that is, there's a real gap between what's being spoken, what's being understood, what's actually happening. And doubting that your mind is working, doubting that you're able to communicate clearly is not the place you want to be bringing a new life into the world, right? You need to really be able to say, I'm trusting my body. I'm listening to it. I feel supported. And, and this is going to be hard. You know, I think the other thought I could imagine her having is like, what, you know, like (laughs) trying to move and do all that right now feels overwhelming, but it will be so much more overwhelming to be on the other side of this with the baby and no support structure and no way to leave. And, you know, who knows? She might fly across the country and he gets it together. And he's like, my bad. You know, like, 
I was really tripping and I'm really scared to become a father and I'm really overwhelmed. And right. yes, I went we can to Ikea go, 10 times today. I went to Ikea and we can go to couples therapy. And, you know, that that's also a total pathway, um, you, you know, once you say that this is happening. But I do think that it needs to be at that level of seriousness that you that you recognize, like, this isn't just like, how do I shift my communication in some some ways? <laughs> it's like the fundamental nature of this relationship would have to shift in some some major ways for it to be a safe place to bring this little one into. Yeah. So letter writer, you know, even that line about, you know, uh, you might have guessed that he's mistrustful of therapists and not without reason. I just flinched. I just felt like, boy, he's trained you good on that one. Oh, yeah. And I was like, of course he has a self-obsessed mother. <laughs> Of course it's you know, her fault, I was like, right? of course like, it's a self-obsessed therapist mother. I'm like, okay, well, it sounds like there's a lot to work out for that family, but it doesn't necessarily have to fall on you in this moment. And, and just the idea of like, you know, so of course he's never going to go because of his mother. And it's just like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. well, he's a grown man about to become he a parent a himself. Yeah. And I think he can probably separate his mother from therapists in general. And also, you know, one of the ways you can avoid going to therapy is by doing things like sometimes making dinner and going to Ikea without, you know, uh, blowing up at your wife. And it's just like, if your goal was not to have to go to therapy, you could have done those things. That's right. And, you know, that's the thing, like in a partnership, like when which, which is what you want to be in at this state of the pregnancy, at this state of life, you want to be in a partnership. And if you're in a partnership, you're not even having to make those requests necessarily, right? There's the 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 assumption, the knowledge is like, oh, right, you're pregnant. <laughs> so let me continuously be asking you what your needs are. And let me continuously understand that as the hormonal shifts happen and as you're carrying a whole other life inside you, that you're going to have ever shifting needs. And, and the, the gift of being a partner to someone who's having a baby is that you get to be the person who's there supporting that. And that's the role you get to play from outside the body is taking care of that body. I mean, it's really miraculous work. And, you know, it's like how to get back to that orientation, right? Yeah. I, I think the thing that just really stood out to me too is I've learned not to take things too personally if he's in a mood, especially when it's yeah. paired with my spouse has always been kind of negative. And yeah. I think we can safely drop the kind of. I think we can assume that that is politeness and and ego protection. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, letter writer, I think one of the things that is coming up for you right now is you've realized, like, if it's just me, I will pretend it's not personal. I will push it aside. I will make an excuse for him. And and by the way, letter writer, I don't say any of this to fault you or to say that, you know, you have uh, accommodated his behavior in such a way that you are responsible for it. It just seems like the pattern has been... You have let a lot of things go that are, in fact, painful, unkind, or selfish, or unrealistic um, because it's just you. And now that there's a baby um, and you are thinking of another person and you're not inclined to be as like um, self-deprecating as you, as you were about yourself, you're like, this is actually not a good or a loving way to treat someone. And I would really encourage you, letter writer, to, you know, without sounding too cheesy, you know, treat yourself with some of the kind of care and respect that you are already treating your unborn baby. Yeah, um, you know your right. baby doesn't deserve this kind of constant, constant groaning and griping about the everyday work of life and that unwillingness to participate fully. And it's also true that you don't deserve that. And you, I think, should have been taking this personally. I, w- I want to give you permission to take this personally. It is personal. 
it is personal when you say to your partner, hey, I make dinner every night and I'm pregnant and that's a lot. Can you occasionally help me out by ordering some takeout and asking me what I'd like? And his response is, you treat me like shit and I'm not going to take it anymore and I'll never go to Ikea ever. You should take that personally and you should leave. And I'm so sorry. Um, It is not a good time to leave, but it is the best time to leave. It is only going to get, as you say, letter writer, more difficult. You should go now. Um, I think you should tell a, a relative that you trust or a friend that you trust that you're coming home and you should get yourself a ticket and you should go. And you should tell your husband after you are on the plane. And I think you should start looking into um, getting a good lawyer. Mm. It's so tender, you know. It's so tender, but I do think we're in this massive turning away from patriarchy and misogyny. And it feels like things that we've put up with for too long, including mean men, you know, it's like that time is done. And I can really appreciate the difficulty of the letter writer's position. She talks about, I'm financially dependent on him. So it's it's also a question of like, where will my livelihood come from? How will I care for myself and my baby? So I really also can appreciate this is a, frankly, like a professional move for you as well. You are also moving for a job because you need to resign from the job of being your husband's partner. Um, And so letter writer, I'm also very aware that you are looking at some very difficult and frightening possibilities. And I would just, again, encourage you to, to, when you get there, reach out to your support network, get all the help that you possibly can. Oh yeah. Line them up beforehand. That's what to line up beforehand, you know, is I, I can just think of so many instances where I'm like, oh, I wish that I had gotten the call beforehand and before, you know, before children were involved <laughs> in in at that level of, of being exposed to that behavior. So good luck. Yeah, I would love to hear back from you if you're able to. I realize that that might have been jarring advice, and I'm sorry if it felt um, like it just wasn't at all in the direction that you're looking for. And I'm, I can really imagine there's a part of you that feels like, surely that's too drastic. It's not that bad. It's, it's, um, there's got to be a way for us to, to get it together. And I just really, really strongly encourage you, letter writer, maybe show this letter to a friend who you trust and whose judgment you value. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I, I often think about with this is like, if, if there was a way, you know, like I, I would always say, you know, I'm like, oh, I would. And I hear this from so many mothers, like, I want this ch- father to be in this baby's life. And like, that really matters to me. And it's like, yes. And if there's a way, absolutely. But you can't make that way if if he's not interested in making that way. And, you know, this is one of those things that you can't really do on your own. And it's we're not meant to do this on our own. And right now you're doing it on your own. And you're trying to reason with yourself as to why you're doing it on your own. Why is it so hard? And I, I think the first thing is to acknowledge that you're actually doing this on your own already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's so key. Like, it's not... The fantasy that maybe this will turn around once the baby arrives, I think, is very unlikely. Um, And so all you're doing is acknowledging, I'm already a single parent right now. At least if I fly back to my home, I will be a single parent with family and friends close by. All right, I think that's my, my... limit there in terms of how helpful I think I can be. Would you uh, be so good as to read our second letter? So the subject of this one is scared of being lonely. And it says, I recently met a friend through a trans support group and we quickly became very close. 
I have a hard time making close friends, and I was overjoyed to meet someone who liked me as much as I liked them. I developed additional feelings for him, but he recently let me know that while he values me as a friend and didn't want to take things in a different direction, oh, that while he values me as a friend, basically he didn't want to take things in a different direction. Okay. I respected this, but it triggered my fear of abandonment and being without close friends, which made me super emotional. I asked for a couple days distance. I thought I'd gotten over things, but this weekend I got way too drunk when hanging at his place and he let me know the next morning he was really uncomfortable with how I kept getting in his personal space while being much drunker than he was. I don't remember invading his space, but I'm sure it happened. I was feeling extremely insecure about him repeatedly texting the girl he was dating and ignoring me. I apologized and told him I was ashamed but we've been very distant over the past few days. How can I be a good friend at this point? (laughs) I'm like, um, you know, I might be too harsh (laughs) advice person, but I'm like, y'all, I don't think you can be friends right now. Um, And I'll say the reason for this is because right now you actually are interested in this person in a different way. And it's triggering a lot of things for you um, that will be exciting and important to figure out. But this, the thing about the getting too drunk and and that acting out, it's like, there's nothing wrong. We all do that. We've all made that kind of move, that kind of error, uh, that kind of, you know, misstep in the relationship because we want to be able to slip into something else. You know, we want to be able to maybe cross, cross a line, you know, we want to maybe move. But the fact that you're like, I'm feeling triggered by him texting someone he's dating, you know, um, your feelings for him right now are not friendly and they might get there if you can take some time and take some space and kind of examine for yourself what's actually happening and what you actually need. Right. But you're setting yourself up being in this friendship, uh, trying to pursue this friendship where you actually want more from it. And that's that more is not available. I think is actually going to trigger that abandonment stuff more and more and more rather than actually providing a safe space to, really heal in some way around it. Yeah. I think, you know, I want to identify what I thought the letter writer has done right, as well as the things that I think that they have not done right. Um, So, you know, the part letter writer that you say, it triggered my fear of abandonment, which made me super emotional. I asked for a couple of days distance. That was really good. So good. You know, the, the way that you wrote that line to me seemed like it was implying that you thought it was like an overreaction or a bad thing. That was actually great. Um, Totally appropriate, totally reasonable, a good way of sort of acknowledging, you know, there's no way we can just go hang out and be at the movies when I'm like crying or feeling really sad that we're not going to be a couple. So I need some space. That was really good. Um, You know, letter writer already, um, but I just want to reiterate, you know, you got drunk and messy at your friend's house and you made him uncomfortable. And I don't want to either overstate or understate it as like that's monstrous and horrible and you must have just been you know domineering and terrible or on Mm. the other hand it's fine no big deal so let's just like keep it in perspective which is you know you don't remember what you did that made him uncomfortable and he says that you invaded his personal space both of that you know those two things combined that's not good and you don't want to do that so you need to I think To begin with, before you can even answer the question of whether or not a friendship is possible between the two of you, I think the first order of business is making sure that you do not do that again. And whether that means 
sharing it with other people whose judgment you trust and asking for some help, you know, staying accountable. If in the future you're feeling kind of emotional and want to have a drink, um, I don't want to say again, like this means you should never, ever drink or you should never have a strong feeling, but figure out what it is that you need to make sure that you do not again in the future get blackout drunk when you're feeling really overwhelmed and rejected such that you can't, you know, uh, account for your behavior the next day. That's you need to be able to account for your behavior. And so you need to start thinking about now when you are sober, how do I make sure I can continue to account for my behavior? Because you're the only one who can. That's right. And, you know, one of the things I think about is the number of times, particularly when I was in my 20s, when I was like, I'm getting super drunk (laughs) and who knows, you know, but I'm with people who are actually friends. And with those friendships, it was like that can happen and we can recover, there's there's nothing else that's going on in that. You know, there, I'm not getting drunk and and trying to make moves, you know, or cross boundaries. But in this instance, it really feels like, you know, this is someone who's who's basically given you a boundary and you pushed against it. And so there's also something really tender to recognize in there that, you know, there's a piece of your healing that is tied up in really deeply understanding that move right? That it's like, I don't want abandonment. And then if you cross a boundary of someone who said it, the most likely thing that's going to happen is that they're going to pull way back, right? right? So it's a way that you're preempting that abandonment. You know, you're creating the condition where that becomes the option. And it's just good to get aware of that, right? It's like, oh, you know, that's the opposite direction from how I want to move. And why am I doing that, right? And for me, you know, I find it very liberating when I can notice the places where I do self-sabotage moves um, and just be like, oh, <laughs> look at that. You know, that I'm saying that I want something and the actions I'm doing are, are definitely going to produce something else. And can I get curious? Can I get really compassionate about that with myself? Because the fact that you already know that you're like, I have these abandonment issues, that's so big. That's so tender. It's so brave to be able to name that. And it's so brave to be able to say, I, I know I have a hard time connecting with people. I really want that. And now there's a, a part of this work that's about how do you give yourself that and believe that you deserve it, you know, and create the conditions in which that's possible. And I, I, I do think, you know, it's hard. You can't control sometimes how this, how attraction rolls out. But I do think I have found it really helps me to not try to create friends out of people I'm deeply attracted to for more than that. Right. Um, and you, of course, you don't always know, right? Sometimes exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, you know, sometimes stuff develops as you're in it. But, you know, I've had that moment with friends and it's like, you have to be able to to name it and to be able to honor whatever comes up. You know, I've had friends where it went one way. I've had friends where it went another. I've had friends where we hooked up and then we were like, just kidding. (laughs) You know, that it's supposed to be a different relationship. Like all, there's so many possibilities here. So there's no shame in the attraction developing. There's no shame in figuring out that this is a lesson you still need to learn. Right. There's, there's just the learning. And I think that being tender with yourself, but I do think now the same way you took distance before, I think taking that distance and and intentionally, you know, just saying like, I, I want to understand a little bit more about what happened for me there. I honor you. I want to honor this friendship. I'm hoping that it's still possible, but I'm going to go figure this out. I want to spend some time here and I'll get back to you, you know, um, 
that that is, I think, how you increase the chance of there actually being a friendship moving right. forward. I think um, I, I, I've been rereading this um, throughout the the last couple of minutes, and I think I have a slightly better sense of like what the evening actually looked like. And that's not to say that I can foreclose on any other possible outcomes, but it seems to me less likely. <laughs> okay that the letter writer was blackout drunk and didn't remember anything so much as they got really drunk. I don't remember getting in his personal space. Um, I don't remember invading his space, but I'm sure, you know, it happened. So it seems less like I don't remember anything and he's just told me I made him uncomfortable as opposed to, uh, you know, I have a pretty clear sense of like what happened, what we talked about, what we did, where I was and where he was. I'm just not really sure when the moment or moments were where he felt like I was getting too close. So that to me puts it in a slightly lighter category than like the open question of I have no memory of this night. And all I know is that he says I got in his space and made him uncomfortable, which could bring up potentially bigger issues. And so I, well, I just and I also flag, think that yeah. this is one of those things where like because this friend already knows you have this attraction to him, you know, who knows <laughs> how, what, what close looks like, right? Like who knows what feels comfortable for him. And maybe that's something he's sussing out, right? It's just, it's just like, it really felt like you were up in my space and, and maybe it's a way that didn't feel like that to you or would have felt fine even if you weren't drunk, right? But the key is that you can't fully account for it. And you, you know, that's something you want to be able to do. And or you want to be able to develop friends where it's like, sometimes I get, you know, I need to get really drunk and I need to know that's cool, you know? Yeah, I think it seems like the sort of cluster here was you were much more drunk than he was. You were on some level agitated that he was texting somebody else. And then, you know, whatever combination of either like ambient or indirect or direct ways of kind of signaling, I want something from you or you're making me unhappy, made for a bummer of an evening, which again, I, I get why that feels like embarrassing or painful. But, you know, letter writer, it's also, you know, you didn't kidnap him. Um, you didn't, you didn't like, you know, grab the phone and say, stop texting him. He's mine. Like you can, I think, try to come down from that. Like, I'm just so ashamed because really, you know, what, what your friend wants from you right now, if there's a possibility of continuing with this friendship and I, I can't promise that there is, it may very well be that he's just like, that's too much. Um, and then you will need to find a way to make your peace with that. You know, that question is how can I be a good friend at this point? And one of the things I will say, and I promise you, you know, this may be hard to take in, but like, do not keep bashing yourself in, in shame, right? Like you're like, I feel so ashamed. I feel so ashamed. Do not feel ashamed for liking this person. Do not feel ashamed for what you feel. Don't be ashamed for your issues you're navigating. Like the, the way you can be a good friend is exactly what you've done is saying, I'm sorry. You know, I take accountability for this. And then really letting that boundary hold. And that might look like really taking some time for yourself. I, I do think most of the time it's like, really, if you do your self-reflection, that will show up more than anything that you can say or do towards this person. Your friend doesn't need shame from you right now. No. He doesn't need you to do self-flagellation or to repeat, I'm so bad. Again, in part because like the violation of like your friendship boundaries or like the thing that hurt him or however you want to describe it is that you were putting too much um, more intimacy, more intensity on him than he wanted. And so 
part of the problem is if you say, I'm so ashamed, I'm awful, I'm bad, you are replicating the very situation that hurt him in the first place. Um, and again, that's, I don't think that's your goal. Um, but that, that would be replicating basically the same problem and demonstrating to him again, you know, when I letter writer feel out of control or really bad or overwhelmed, then I am going to overwhelm you because I feel so bad. And what he needs to be able to see if there's a way for your friendship to move forward is that you are actually able to recognize his limits, even when you feel terrible. And that you will not use your own bad feelings as a reason for pushing past those boundaries. So I think it's necessary to be distant after, you know, this kind of up and down week. Um, I would say, letter writer, give it another week. And then I would consider reaching out with a pretty brief message along the lines of, I want to reiterate, I'm really sorry. Um, And I want to be a little more specific than just, I'm ashamed. Um, I... You know, I I think I was right to take space when we established that we wanted different things. Um, And then, you know, I got too drunk at your house. I made you uncomfortable. If you want to tell me some more about anything in particular that I did or said that you would like an apology for, I'm open to hearing about it. If you don't want to go into detail, that's totally fine. I just want to make it clear that I understand that what I did that was overwhelming was I came to your house, I got really wasted. And I overloaded you with, like, my feelings. And I'm sorry, and I won't do that again. That, to me, is much more substantive than I'm ashamed and I think of myself as bad. This is, I understand what I did wrong. I understand why it was too much for you. And I'm committed to not doing it again. The only thing, my only caution inside of that is, like, make sure that you can truly make that commitment of not doing it again. Like, if, you, you know, which... I'm also like always be real with where and how and who you are because I we've all been you know messed up by rom coms and other stuff that makes us like you know I'll just keep doing these big gestures and so just make sure with yourself that it's a true thing that you're like I can actually I can promise that or I can I can make that agreement or that offer and if you can't you know the other option is always there which is like it's okay to be like this isn't something that can be a friendship right now. Because whatever that work is in you is too tender. There's no shame in that either, right? So just whatever it is, be honest in it. Yeah, yeah. The goal the goal that's achievable is you won't do that thing again. If it's achievable through a friendship, that'll come from honesty. And if, as you think about it, you realize, I actually really can't predict that I won't do that again, then that's a really clear indicator to you that in order to respect this person's boundaries and and their friendship, you need to be, you know, wish them well from afar. And I realize that may itself bring up some of those same fears around abandonment. I get that. That's hard. If, you know, emoting at people was a good way to prevent abandonment, I would encourage you to pursue it. It is not. Um, it's just not. It's not going to get you what you want. So, you know, again, I would give it another week. I would then consider, you know, reaching out and saying something pretty succinct and that is not ending with, can we get together and talk? That says, you know, that uh, ball is in your court. If you want to spend time together again and you want to try to, you know, slowly reestablish a new footing for a friendship, I would love that. Um, if you need more time, I understand. Um, I will leave this one up to you because it's important that you get to make that call. Yeah. And, you know, it might be obvious, but if you don't have therapy or some group support around this abandonment stuff, make sure you have that too. You know, like right, you may need to find a different support issue, group. Yeah. Like the larger issue that you're dealing with, 
is one that has nothing to do with him per se. It's like there's a larger pattern of of loneliness and longing and not wanting to be abandoned and figuring out how do I make friendships given that that's some of my shaping. And that's a really powerful inquiry to be in, right? We all are seeking that kind of deep belonging in a place where we know that we can bring our whole selves, bring our messy selves, bring our, you know, our beloved selves, all of it and, and be held. So make sure to, to give your heart to that work. And, um, regardless of what happens with, with him, that's something that you can take out of this and claim for yourself and, and do some healing work around. Yeah. I think my sort of last thought here is along the lines of that part about I was feeling extremely insecure about him repeatedly texting the girl he was dating and ignoring me. Just wanted to sort of flag that for our letter writer. Um, Because again, I don't want you to feel ashamed either of your uh, desires for closeness, your desire to feel, you know, seen or special or valued. Um, But if in the future, whether in this friendship or in other friendships or just with people you hope might become friends, um, if somebody is ignoring you or not giving you the attention that you want and you would like to discuss it in a you know relatively neutral way you can and you can also just say you know i'm feeling a little weird i'm gonna go home you know i i wonder if the context was that since you had recently told him that you were interested in him romantically and you were potentially also kind of drunk and messy at that point he might have been texting his friend i'm sorry he might have been texting the girl he's seeing because he wanted to sort of make it clear that he was not interested in like going down that emotional intimacy roller coaster. (laughs) And so, you know, one of the things he might've been doing in that moment was trying to get a little distance. And so if in the future that happens and you don't know how to handle that insecurity aside from just going big, um, you've got to take some time to yourself, which I realize might sound paradoxical because it's like, that's the thing I'm afraid of. But other people will never be able to answer that big gaping hole inside of you that's terrified of solitude or loneliness. That's right, Danny. Um, I really I, love that you're saying that. That to me feels like the essence of it. That's like you can't abandon yourself. And and it's kind of awful, right? Because yeah. it feels like if you're afraid of abandonment, just get used to being alone and then you can have friends. And I hope that's not how it's coming across. But if your friendships start on a foundation of I'm so afraid of abandonment, please don't abandon me. Whether or not they pull away or don't, it it almost doesn't matter because that fear you have put in their hands to address or solve, um, and they can't. They just can't. All right, I think that might be a good place to leave that one for 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 now, just because it's. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could maybe talk about this sort of general concept endlessly, and I would love to spend a little mm-hmm. bit more time talking about um, some of your own work. I don't know if you'd care to discuss mm-hmm. some of your written work or your podcast. I know you've been doing a series on sibling work lately. Whatever feels oh, yeah. the most sort of at the forefront of your mind right now, I'd love to be able to let our ris- listeners know a little bit more about it. Yeah, there's there's two things right now that are like front of mind, front of heart. One is in this season, about a month and a half ago now, <laughs> I released my first ever long-form fiction work, um, a novella <laughs> called Grievers. And it's been in the world. It's been um, getting really sweet, positive feedback, um, which you never know what's going to happen. So that's felt really good. And 
I'm in the process now of writing the second and third novellas. You know, I'm, I'm building the story out um, for that trilogy. So mm. that's been really cool and a really different kind of work. Like it, it feels, it feels exciting in a new way for me as a writer. Um, so that's exciting. And then, yeah, the sibling series is one of my favorite things I've ever been involved in. Like we keep having conversations with people who, who we've known and who are known throughout movement. Um, and what we keep hearing from them is they've never had a conversation like this. You know, they've mm. never been in a conversation quite like the one we're having. And um, it's it means that there's a freshness, even as we are traversing, for many of them, very, very old territory. You know, we're taking back to childhood and family mm-hmm. structure and trying to figure out what are the patterns um, that lead to multiple people in, in one family turning to movement and making that commitment in their lives. Mm-hmm. So there's been some really profound conversations. Uh, this week, the interview with Aurora Levens-Morales and Ricardo Levens-Morales went up and their lineages is Puerto Rican and communist and like all kinds of incredible stories about the women's movement and being in Chicago. And just, I was blown away. There's an mm. immense vulnerability in the talk. Um, we had a, an amazing talk with Makani Timba and um, Robin D.G. Kelly. Mm. We had an amazing conversation with them that was super tender. And we have some really cool um, episodes coming up soon. So um, it's good. I think even if you're not, you know, at first I was like, yeah, especially if you're a sibling, this is really fun to listen to. But we've, we're getting good feedback from people too who are like, I'm not, but I'm really fascinated by these relationships. And and we may do one sometime on chosen siblings because mm. that feels like another aspect of this is like, who are the people that you find and, and understand to be your family and movement? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you navigate those relationships? But yeah, those are those are big pieces I'm really excited about right now. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting too. I think there's there's so many different interesting sort of ways of looking at a variety of sibling relationships, but not least because, you know, those are relationships where you have something in common, which is a childhood, not necessarily yeah. that you went through that childhood um, at the exact same time or in the exact same way, but that's a, a real um, common core. And then you can also have wildly different experiences or take away wildly different lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether it's something that like moves in the direction of unity or the moves in the direction of, of a parting of the ways or, or conflict. Um, it's so interesting to see, um, that combination of shared understanding and total uniqueness. Yes. I mean that, that part to me, it feels like such an interesting thing where I'm like, yeah, we start, even when you start from the same material and the same cultural settings and all of that, you can end up with such different results. And I just think for me, it just gives me such a, a broad sense of spaciousness and compassion for other people, right? That I'm like, if just me and my sibling have landed in such vastly different lives and different understandings of the world and 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 we're still connected, but we're in in that difference. Of course, you know, there's gonna be more and more vaster and vaster differences as you expand from that connection and um and how do we get interested in all those distinctions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so funny to me. Both of my partners are only children, and mm. I am uh, no longer in contact with anyone in my birth family, but I grew up as a middle child, mm. and um, I will occasionally uh, tease them uh, about um, 
Like, no, no, no. This is squabbling. I know what squabbling is. I have siblings. You can take my word for it. You don't, you don't know. So I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what squabbling is. And it it's so funny to realize I have this like squabbling. proprietary mm-hmm. sense of expertise, even though like oh, totally. I very much don't have successful sibling relationships. So it's funny to think yeah. of where I got that sense of expertise from. Right. I mean, well, squabbling might be one of the reasons you don't, right? <laughs> like there's, you know, there's, there's pieces of it too, where it's like, there's such a strange intimacy of siblingship. And I really get curious about what, you know, for some of the siblings, many of them actually, there've been spaces where they weren't in touch with each other, um, Mm -hmm. spaces where they weren't in each other's lives as much. And, um, you know, there's with any relationship, it's like, there's always a choice point about staying in and what staying in is going to require, um, how deep it's going to be. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I hope that people walk away from this feeling like, oh, this is helping me understand how to have more agency about any relationship that I'm in and mm-hmm. how to figure out which parts of it are precious and, and functional and how to lean into them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, certainly I think that there's still, um, you know, when you become estranged or, or end a relationship, yeah. um, there's a lot of things that that can look like. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of variety there too. And um, yeah. while it does uh, at least... For, for me, mean the the end of the future of a relationship. There's still a history, and I I get to decide you know how I want to think about it or engage with it. But it is still present. Um, so it's interesting to me sometimes. You know, there are ways in which you can I think I say you, but I'm I'm, I'm speaking philosophically. I'm, I'm talking yeah. about myself. Yeah. Sort of like psychological compensations for dealing with something that can be quite painful or, or traumatic, like like mm-hmm. losing a, a relationship to a family member or multiple family mm-hmm. members. And sometimes you want to try to compensate for that with a sense of, um, you know, maybe a a vision of yourself as somebody who has made a a powerful choice or I have ended something. I get to decide whether or not I think about you ever again. And so there's that sort of fantasy of control of, well, I can turn you on or off my brain versus (laughs) feelings of powerlessness Mm -hmm. of, you know, unlike, uh, you know, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. I cannot remove my memories of someone even though I'm hurt or angry. And so... There's just so many different ways to deal with um, a sibling relationship, even if it doesn't involve um, consistent adult contact. That that's right. As as you know, you know, it's just like endlessly interesting, and there's as many ways to handle those relationships as there are individuals in those relationships. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's been fascinating. You know, I I haven't found. I would love to have conversations, more conversations with people who are like, yeah, this is these are the choices we made, you know, around estrangement or taking even taking breaks or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I'm like, I think we don't hear enough about these things. Like one of my favorite podcasters is Crystal from The Read, mm-hmm. and she talks openly about being estranged from her father. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I think we don't talk about these things and then people don't realize like there's all kinds of boundaries, you know, there's all kinds of boundaries that are, whether you're in the relationship actively or whether you've chosen to put a, put a stop to that relationship, there's boundary work. And Prentice Hemphill talks about that, you know, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and myself simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, took a long break from, from contact with, with their father. And I'm like, I think that there's so much that happens at the level of family that directly impacts then what happens at the level of movement or community, um, mm-hmm. but we don't talk about. So, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I feel like this is, you know, for us, like a sort of dipping into, like ice fishing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like dipping into a tiny circle of a massive conversation. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, if you are ever um, looking for people along those lines, you know, happy to yeah. return the favor. And I know. I was like, show. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a little bit like friend breakups where, you know, yeah. it gets talked about a little bit less than romantic breakups. But I think there's a real appetite for those discussions and a lot of yeah. people want to. And I, I think that pretty much uh, does it for the day. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the the time and the care that you you brought to these questions. Yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoyed getting to answer them, and I hope that it was useful. Yeah, very much so. Have a fabulous rest of your day. Me I hope too. all your keys match all the locks you encounter. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I have never in my life heard anyone say, oh, we met at a party and then had somebody else say, what kind of party? Yeah, no. Like, (laughs) that is a totally, it's true, it's accurate, it's innocuous. No one is going to follow that up with a question of like, what kind of party and did you have your clothes on? Yeah. And if that does happen, letter writer, I just want to say in advance, I apologize. Please write me back and let me know. I will be shocked. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.